Welcome to the Expert Network Team Podcast. Where our goal is to inform and educate our listeners on matters related to finance, legal, insurance, accounting, and other interests that are of personal and business nature. We hope you will find our content useful as well as entertaining. The Expert Network Team consists of Carl Frank of ANI Financial, Mike Miller of Miller and Associates CPAs, Jeff Cromendike of Security First Insurance Agency, and I'm Nathan Merrill. I'm an attorney at Goodspeed and Merrill. Together, our independent team combines our expertise to provide you insights and solutions, some straightforward, some profound, for real-life opportunities we see on a daily basis. We hope you enjoy the information contained in today's podcast and find it useful. If you'd like to learn more or desire to meet with any of the Expert Network team members in person, you can contact us at info at expertnetworkteam.com. That's I-N-F-O at expertnetworkteam.com. We encourage you to take advantage of a free consultation with any of our team members. Just mention this podcast when you schedule your appointment. Now on to today's podcast. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Carl Frank, and with me, I've got a full room of lawyers. I am the only non-lawyer in the room. I'm feeling very intimidated. It's, I was going to say, are you intimidated? You should be. <laughs> it's a very scary situation, yeah. but I'm used to it. Nate and I see each other all the time. Nathan Merrill with Goodspeed and Merrill. How are you, Nate? I'm doing well. Very good. And we've got two other attorneys with Goodspeed and Merrill here. John Sauer, thank you for joining us. Of course. Great to be back. It's great to have you. And Lauren Snow, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. We are going to have a great conversation today. We're going to talk about marijuana in the workplace. And in Colorado, this is a legal thing. But I think there's a lot of things that employers want to know. A lot of questions that we all have. Um, not just about what we should do, but what we can do as employers, what our limits are, what our rules are. Do we have to even make this available? Do we have to allow people to do it? Can we prohibit it? What does this even mean? What are the rules? How can we um, do what we think is right for our businesses? I'm excited to learn from all three of you today. So thank you for joining us. So I'm going to start things off here as a resident uh, knave, the naive one, when it comes to... uh, substances such as this. Um, can you folks explain to me what we're actually talking about here? Because as I understand it, there's there's marijuana, there's CBD, and there's other forms or other parts of the plant that are implicated in yep. what we're talking about today. Yeah, what are we talking about? So sort of, you're on the right track that we're talking about the plant cannabis sativa. Um, There are different forms of the plant in that um, what we're going to be talking about today is what's defined as marijuana under the Colorado Marijuana Code, which is the plant cannabis sativa with a 0.3% or more concentration of THC on a dry weight basis, which means we're talking about the psychoactive version of the plant. There is um, a whole other set of rules and regulations that would apply to what's known as hemp, which is a non-psychoactive version of the plant. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about marijuana and specifically the marijuana laws that exist in Colorado. So in another state and with another um, compound, this conversation may not apply. Okay. So um, any distinction here between uh, recreational versus medical in terms of what we're talking about today? No difference in the state of Colorado. Um, the, the concepts that we're going to be talking about uh, will apply both to recreational and medical 
Um, but really, maybe some real interesting distinctions um, when it does come to medical. We've had medical in the state of Colorado since the year 2000. Um, and you would think that we'd have a much more developed medical code, and we really don't. Um, our code really came into being as it is today, really got an overhaul in 2020, and so a lot of the rules that we're talking about are pretty new, and all of these concepts are really kind of still being flushed out um, and change every day, which for someone who practices in the legal world of marijuana. Um, it's very exciting, can be very frustrating, but um, very exciting for the most part. Yeah, and you actually bring up something I want to highlight here, just in case it didn't come out in the intros. A lot of what you do, Lauren, is actually in the regulated environment of cannabis industry companies and and product providers and that sort of thing. John, your angle on this is more from an employer's standpoint in terms of in workforce or workplace compliance with the laws that are implicated under cannabis, Colorado, essentially, cannabis That's correct, regulation. Yeah. So on that note, if I can just add a, another quick overview question, help our listeners get comfortable with reconciling in their minds that, you know, you hear it all the time, pot's still illegal, but it's not. Okay. So this is a kind of a it's kind of one of the open federalism questions in the United States right now is marijuana uh, in its THC form is effectively considered a, a class one uh, drug. And what that means under federal law is that it has no recognized medicinal use, uh, while other states have recognized that it truly does have some medicinal properties. And it can become a political hot-button issue. Nonetheless, um, <clears throat> the issue that pops up in the employment context primarily is you have, a, you have a drug that's illegal under federal law but legal under state law. And there was this open question since effectively 2000 as to what employers could do with respect to regulating the use of marijuana, whether it was on duty or off duty, by employees because the state is saying, well, this is a constitutional amendment, you can use it, and then the federal government is saying, no, you can't. Uh, in 2015, it, I mean, I still talk to employers that think that there's some open question about this, but in 2015, the Colorado Supreme Court issued the uh, Coates v. Dish Network case. Um, this was a decision that on, on its face is quite technical, uh, but realistically has grand implications for, you know, just resolving that question of what employers are permitted to do. The Coates case uh, involved what um, many commentators say was the perfect plaintiff. The perfect plaintiff in a marijuana case like this challenging whether an employer can regulate their on-duty or off-duty use of marijuana is a quadriplegic person, Mr. Coates, that had extraordinary pain associated with his condition and was given a, mer a medical card, in this sense almost 100%, legitimately within the, the bounds of Colorado law, no questions there, uh, to treat his pain. And he only used it off-duty, and Colorado has what's called an off-duty conduct statute. The off-duty conduct statute is a relic of you know, the bygone years of people that want to take smoke breaks, which is not so popular anymore, but it was enacted effectively by the tobacco lobby to prevent employers from terminating employees for smoking cigarettes. If you have a smoke break, if you have 
if you want to smoke in the evenings when you're not working, uh, this law would protect employers from terminating you. And what happened was um, Dish Network had put out a uh, drug use policy that prohibited the use of marijuana effectively. They determined that Mr. Coates was using marijuana to treat his pain. They knew that they knew all of these facts, and they ended up terminating him for a violation of their drug use policy. The issue came straight to a head with the off-duty conduct statute that prohibits an employer from terminating somebody for engaging in really any lawful activity. The off-duty conduct statute doesn't say tobacco specifically, but it's very clearly any off-duty, you know, if you want to drink alcohol, an employer can't terminate you for drinking alcohol because that's legal under both state and federal law. The issue presented to the Colorado Supreme Court was whether um, the language within the off-duty conduct statute, lawful activity, that's that specific phrase, um, required interpretation both under state law and federal law or only state law. So Mr. Coates would prevail if lawful activity meant that Marijuana use is lawful under Colorado law, therefore Dish Network's termination of him was illegal under the off-duty conduct statute. But marijuana remains, as of today, a class one, schedule one substance under the uh, federal law, so it is illegal to use marijuana under federal law. The court came out and said, um, the federal law says that this is illegal conduct and under those circumstances, the off-duty conduct statute does not apply, and therefore employers can put in place drug use policies that prohibit the use of marijuana on duty or off-duty, and going forward, that's exactly what has happened. It's, it's kind of a closed question that a good handbook and employers that are concerned about drug use, illegal drug use under federal law, um, are permitted to effectively regulate off-duty conduct in that way. You, you say permitted. Um, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, my question is, so what you're saying, if I understand you right, you can, you can prohibit your employees from using marijuana. That's correct, 100% correct. And Carte blanche, like at well, home or I'll add anywhere. in a couple of qualifiers just because I love to shake things Please, up a little yeah. bit. Um, there is a federally approved drug, uh, federally approved by the FDA, um, that has been around, approved by FDA from years and years back. It's called Marinol. And there is a, an approved use of that drug. And I use the word drug because that's how it's defined under the federal, uh, the uh, Food and Drug and Cosmetics Act. Um, it is a drug. And so someone um, could, an employee could use Marinol in compliance with federal law. Um, but they would have, you know, obviously they would, they would be permitted to do that under federal law, and that's not something that you would be able to prohibit. Um, and then another another topic maybe we can get into a little more detail with, since uh, we brought up hemp at the beginning of the conversation, um, there is a, a question now about people using things like CBD um, and, and whether that is derived from hemp or marijuana um, can kind of dictate whether or not that's going to... Um, be permit permissible, um, but in 2018, the federal government passed something called the what we refer to as the Federal Farm Bill, and under that um, act, it allows um, the uh, well. I want to be careful a little bit about how I say it, but um, it basically permits states to regulate the um, cultivation of hemp 
and that is uh, the, the cannabis sativa plant that contains less than 0.3% THC on a dry weight basis. So it would be, again, the non-psychoactive version of the plant. Um, but generally, that means that it's high in CBD, and we consider CBD a non-psychoactive substance. So um, when you're testing for things, when you have, like, you know, when you're writing these policies, um, it's important to also be in compliance with federal law. So when you're, you know, it's important to, to define these things as marijuana um, when you're prohibiting them. Well, let me ask a little bit about that, because once upon a time I heard a story about someone who had a poppy seed muffin, went in, had a drug test that day, and came back positive for whatever, uh, op opioid <laughs> presence or whatever. Is that, is that an old wives' tale, or is that possible? And, and, and furthermore, to the question where it kind of translates over to this is, what if someone puts hemp seed in their, you know, whatever, or they have hemp milk? I mean, are these things showing up in drug testing the same way, or...? It, well, it depends, sort of. So um, prior to the... Well, as we're kind of figuring out the whole farm bill and how everything's kind of playing out, um, the industry is wildly unregulated, or it, at least it has been. So as far as CBD, when the, the farm bill was first passed, it was kind of everything was kind of like a free-for-all, and you were seeing it in, gro in grocery stores and gas stations, and people really didn't know where that hemp was coming from. And it was, you, it, you would see something that said CBD, and you would test positive for THC with it. So um, that was a real issue. I think it's getting worked out better now. Um, each state, it, it's up to each state to enact um, rules as far as uh, where and, and when and how much uh, hemp can be grown and, and how it's being processed and how it's being cultivated. And it's become a lot more regulated over the past couple of years. It's still kind of working itself out. But um, I don't know about the poppy seed well, muffin. That, I have heard that one. Yeah. So <laughs> We so. can test that, Nate, if you like. <laughs> I like poppy seed muffins. <laughs> Or bagels or whatever, but but because uh, you've mentioned a couple of times this idea of certain amount of THC per whatever dry weight, mm -hmm. which is which as I hear it as an attorney, and I, I'm hearing that there's some THC allowed that wouldn't violate the federal law. Is that correct? It, I mean, if you're under the as an employer, if you drug test somebody and they test positive through the testing process, uh -huh. whether it's DOT-approved testing or other testing that you have through a, a private lab, and you determine that they uh, have THC in their system, which is clearly indicative of marijuana ingestion, you can terminate the employee without running afoul of state law. Even if what they ingested was technically legal or...? Right, and even if it were a week ago. I mean, there, it, every person is going to process it differently. And so someone might have a little bit of THC and it might show up in their system and someone someone else might have a lot of THC and it won't show up in their system. Um, I think we're moving forward in terms of being able to to scientifically show when, like, if there's active compounds in somebody's body, things like that. We're definitely not there yet. But I think to John's point, if there's any amount of THC in your system, and the rule is you can't have THC in your system, then you're in violation of the the laws or the rules or the policy, the policy. The, the drug policy that, as a smart employer, you've set out in your handbook. If in my policy I haven't prohibited marijuana, is it assumed that I allow it? 
That's a good question. Um, what I would say is that you could take the position very easily that you're ingesting drugs that are illegal under federal law, and under those circumstances, you're terminated. And if you have an at-will employee, that's a perfectly legitimate reason to let them go as far as the status of the law. How about that? So even though we've legalized it in Colorado, employees could still be at risk from employers if they're using marijuana. So I think the real issue comes down to, and when I advise clients on these issues, the key thing for me is, is there a safety concern here? I mean, if these are people that are driving, you know, snow plows or trucks or, you know, in, you know, operating on people, you should have a very solid drug policy that prohibits the use of anything that could interfere with that person's ability to perform their job. If there's no safety implicated, there's other questions that need to be addressed. As attorneys, we have to be precise, we have to be competent, we have to be awake. I'm not trying to stereotype people that ingest marijuana, but I'm, I would personally believe that I would have some compromised abilities if I were under the influence of marijuana trying to perform my job on a day-to-day -day basis. So under those circumstances, those are some other considerations that employers well, and need to have. You imply that only attorneys have to be competent, awake, and skilled. You know, <laughs> I mean, you almost want that out of anybody you hire. Um, so, I, but yes, I, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of if it affects your ability to do your job, then as an employer, you have a vested interest in it not happening. But I want to be clear on this because I think just to, to make sure I understand the implications. If you say, if you are silent on the policy, help me understand the implications there from an employer's standpoint. You might in, inadvertently induce a, a sense that it's okay if you don't say don't do it, but you still would have the ability to take action to terminate people who do. Well, you could take either side of this debate, right? The the one side of it is that, you know, you don't put in your handbook, don't murder your wife. Right. But if somebody murders their wife and that causes you heartburn, yeah. you could fire them. Yeah, for sure. That's a legitimate, uh, non-discriminatory, non-retaliatory legal reason to fire somebody, even though it's not necessarily in your handbook. Fair. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But... I guess the unique component here is the the bifurcation of legal authority yeah. on it. You have Colorado saying, fine, legal, do it. And you have the federal implications, which based on the Coates decision sound like they're overriding. But even prior to today, nor Carl or I had ever heard of Coates. So wh why should we assume our employees have? Well, I expect all drug users to be well-informed of the status of the law. <laughs> Good for you. Lord, how do you feel about that? I, I think That's they're good. probably more informed than most would assume, but... Yeah. But yeah, um, I, I think uh, it's a really it's a, a really good question. I think it's a really fair point. You know, I, I think you also, you know, you, you can put in, to kind of go back to what John was saying earlier, you know, if someone is a habitual um, alcohol user, you can also fire them for alcohol use if it gets in the way of their job. If someone, I, I'm, I won't name names, but I'm sure there are people who, who function well and drink alcohol every day, and, and you know, that's not maybe not going to be a... She's a, looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 
don't know. There, what's in that, Doctor Pepper cup? No, I no, I'm I, I I'm kidding. Um, I'm hopped up on caffeine all the time, <laughs> not alcohol. Right, but. but no, I think the the point is that at, at, as far as alcohol, that that's something that's legal at both both the state and the federal level. But if you're consuming it in a way that it is causing a safety concern, that's certainly a, a legitimate reason for a termination of employment, even even though it's a legal substance, and even if you're using it technically lawfully you can still be fired for that use. So I guess where I'm leading with this, if I may lead counsel, um, help me understand best practices here. And I, I recognize that in some cases there may be legitimate reasons to, to do it one way or the other, but what are the, are the best practices to adopt a drug policy and a testing policy so it's explicit with folks that you intend to enforce or what are the other implications? I think you mentioned earlier before we got went live, there's always a recruiting issue potentially. So one thing I'd say is that I get frustrated when people ask me for best practices because I need to know more about the individual business, okay. right? So if I get called by a vape store and they say, look, we need a handbook, and I give them a drug policy that prohibits the use of cigarettes or vaping on the job that's completely inconsistent with their fundamental culture, that's not, even though I may be giving them best practices, that's not really what they're looking for, what they need. So what I would say is uh, evaluating what is best for your workplace would dictate what needs to be in the policy. Like I don't think as a law firm or as a financial services firm, you really need to adopt a, a DOT-compliant drug testing program that includes monthly randoms. That would make no sense for your business, and that's not even really necessarily uh, what is needed. Even if your idea is drugs, marijuana use is bad, I don't want my employees using marijuana, even if that's your approach, I mean, you're, you're kind of boiling the ocean over one little issue. So realistically, evaluating what needs to happen in your workplace, what kind of employees you want to be want to be working for you, what your customers need, what your customers would expect or your clients would expect from the people that you hire is probably higher on the list in terms of dictating what your policy should say. I'm happy to draft a very strong policy for anybody that needs a very strong policy on these issues. We've done the DOT policies. We've established DOT uh, testing programs for large trucking companies, those types of those types of tasks occur and they need to happen. And truthfully, I feel much safer on the road that you know, truck drivers are not allowed to ingest marijuana before, while they're on the road. But nonetheless, you can also have a policy that's a bit more lax and that fits your culture better. I mean, a lot of people touch the handbook and say, this is, the, this is a fundamental piece of culture for our, for our business. This dictates the expectations, the rules, the conduct. This tells employees how we will interact with them in a written way that they can effectively count on, despite that big disclaimer at the beginning that says, don't count on this. So I got I may be backing up a little bit here. Say you don't have any drug uh, or marijuana prohibition within a handbook. You suspect that one of your employees is using. How do you then have the right to discover that? You go for it. I think that's more of an employment law question. I think it's a great question, though. So, I mean, do you have an implied right 
or do you have to have then just a standalone drug testing policy in the handbook, even though you haven't specifically prohibited marijuana use? How do you get access to their urine? <laughs> I don't want to be like too explicit here, but uh... well, there's no Fourth Amendment protections for private employees, so you could go pull it right out of the urinal if you'd like to. Okay. <laughs> Realistically, this is kind of that, a but... this is a situation where you want to have employees on notice of a drug testing okay. policy, and I think that that gets back to. Realistically, from the defense perspective on any type of employment issue, the more I'm able to show that the employer was reasonable under the circumstances, the more likely we're able to convince uh, an arbiter, a judge, a jury that whatever happened under these circumstances was appropriate. So I think the Coates decision stands out as um, maybe contrary to that because you have this super sympathetic plaintiff and then you have this very hard line that Dish Network is taking. But realistically, if you have an employee that you decide that you're going to terminate for the use of marijuana and they were never on notice of a drug testing policy, never on notice that that was you know, a condition of their employment, never on notice that that was an expectation. You're going to have a hard time. You don't look reasonable. Yeah. Whether you're within the limits of the law is a much more specific question sure sure how and Lauren this might be a uh, question best answered by you what what's the future how long will it be before there will be federal you know the prohibitions will be lessened it seemed like recently I heard that uh, you know they were changing some laws at the federal level what, what's going on um, I think that's the million dollar question. I think um, a lot of people are just waiting on the sidelines for it to become federally legal and that has been the case for years. Um, and I, we don't know what that's gonna look like. If it does come to federal legalization, we don't know if it's gonna be because it's descheduled, meaning it's taken off the Controlled Substances Act. We don't know if it's gonna be put into legislation and, and rescheduled somewhere else. Um, and that, it's just really, that's the unknown. Um, there has been there have been a big push in all the states and federally to decriminalize. Um, there was something that happened recently with um, President Biden um, pardoning drug offenders, and and so there is some movement. Um, I think we're in a friendly administration where we haven't been um, for previously, um, and so I think I think we've seen some movement there. I think the the culture. Um, or that the, the sentiment, I think, of the United States is, is becoming more friendly, maybe. Um, not everybody, certainly, but um, I think it, it definitely is, is moving more in, in a friendly direction. But again, it's just, we really just, we don't know. We don't know what that's gonna look like. There are, are constantly bills being um, introduced to, um, you know, to, there, there's one that uh, John had pulled out that um, would, um, prohibit a, an employer from taking an adverse action against, thank you, an employee's uh, use of marijuana. And this kind of maybe goes further than the, the Coates case, but. Um, yeah, what is that? So this this is a, uh, this was introduced in February of 2022 in the Colorado House. And basically it's a legislation legislative attempt to overturn the Coates decision. So its summary says uh, the bill prohibits, so this is House Bill 22-1152. This bill prohibits an employer from taking adverse action against an employee, including an applicant for employment, who engages in the use of medical marijuana on the premises of the employer during working hours 
uh, or retail or medical marijuana off the premises of the employer during non-working hours. And an employer is permitted to impose restrictions on employee use of medical or retail marijuana under specified circumstances. So this has gone nowhere. I mean, it was introduced and um, it basically is an attempt to write the Coates decision as an exception or overrule the Coates decision as an exception under the um, off-duty conduct statute by permitting marijuana use. And yeah, and I think what we've seen historically is we see kind of like little pieces of of legalization that are digestible. So things get passed, like with the the CBD, um, you know, with the with the hemp the 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 Farm Act. Um, we saw that be passed because I think people see hemp as something that's digestible because it's non psychoactive and because it's used, you know, more industrially and and less you know, more for pain management uh, as far as CBD goes rather than psychoactive as far as THC goes. And so I think we see little things and we've seen certainly a, a large movement in the time that I've been practicing. Um, we, I, you know, it, it's it's a completely different ball game. And so I think we'll start to see that a little bit more. I, again, every state is different. Um, there are states that have outright prohibitions on everything. There are states that only allow medical. There are states that allow medical and recreational, and there are, you know, there are states that allow only CBD, for example. So it's it's a real patchwork that we have across the country, um, and that eventually will have to be rectified. It's just not it's not a sustainable model to be able to purchase something. Uh, you know, if you live in a border town, you can purchase something 30 miles away or less than that. 30, you know. I don't know how. However close it might yeah. be, right? Just cross <laughs> yeah. the line and it's yeah. legal. And Could be, yeah, it. across the street, and you could go pick up something and bring it back to your house, and it's completely illegal there. So, um, but that has been the, that's been the case for years, and so it, it, I I do believe it will rectify itself, and I do believe we'll have some type of more cohesive, you know, code of conduct to operate under across the country, but we're just not there yet. So employees are at risk in that regard too. I mean, but they always have been. Right, if you cross the state line and you use marijuana or are caught with the use of it in a place where it's illegal, you're in trouble. Right. Right? And employers have the right to terminate. And even if it became federally illegal, they could still have the right to terminate, just like they have with alcohol or anything else that they deem to be dangerous. Right, and I think that's more of an at-will maybe question, and that would be with anything. I, I yeah. So this kind of puts it into perspective. I mean, it's a it's a really interesting time to be in, in your line of business. I mean, this is a fascinating, challenging environment. But it seems like, uh, from my point of view, it looks like more of the risks are on the marijuana users than it is on the employers who are attempting to, to you know, run a business, for goodness sakes. So I got one closing question here. You can tell me if this is worthy of its own podcast. What are the workers' comp implications when it comes to uh, this sort of thing. So there probably is enough there for its own podcast. Um, Let me tease it out. <laughs> marijuana is regulated in many of the same ways as alcohol under the workers' comp regime. Frankly, if you're under the influence of marijuana or alcohol at the time of an accident and you try to file an un or, sorry, a workers' comp claim, there's a presumption 
that the alcohol or marijuana contributed to the accident. And under those circumstances, the benefits that you could recover are significantly diminished. There are requirements under Colorado law that require posting both in handbooks and in conspicuous places uh, uh, for individuals that may be under the influence of alcohol or drugs in the instance of an accident that their uh, workers' comp coverage could be, or their benefits could be slashed dramatically, their non-medical benefits specifically. Um, it creates a lot of problems if you're in a workspace that's not basically carpeted and padded like most offices, you know, the mm-hmm. a manufacturing facility, somebody loses a hand and an arm, and, they, and, you know, Lauren spoke to this a little bit, but realistically the testing is not there to understand, I mean, whether you're actually under the influence and impaired by marijuana is a very different question than whether you smoked it 30 days ago. Right. So. But you're saying, so that, that what you're saying there is that the, even the minute presence of it in the system satisfies the presumption, not a rebuttable presumption, just a presumption under the law that it, it that it contributed to the incident. So not getting into rebuttable, unrebuttable, Okay. distinction but yes there is a dis- there is a presumption that the accident was caused by that substance and you can re- you can rebut that presumption but you have to pr- rebut it by clear and convincing evidence Got it. and truthfully with where the testing's at that's not not possible not possible got it well thank you so much this is uh, fascinating to me thank you lauren thank you john we appreciate your insights today Nate, thanks for keeping us on track. It's always fun to see you, my friend. Likewise. Create a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed the information we shared. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with someone else. And join us next time. If you want to meet with a member of the team, please contact us at info at expertnetworkteam.com. That's info at expertnetworkteam.com. If you have special topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to us and let us know at the same email address. Again, that's info at expertnetworkteam.com. Thank you for joining us and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We want to remind you that listening to this podcast does not establish a client professional relationship with any of the firms represented, nor does it constitute legal, investment, or accounting advice and the views are those of the professionals only. Investment advisory services may be provided through a Financial Services, and securities may be provided through Genios Wealth Management.